Heavenly Father, thank you that you've been speaking to us uh, as your word was read. And we pray that uh, by your spirit you'll continue to do that uh, as we consider this passage together. We pray that you enable me to uh, preach uh, truthfully and rightly uh, and in your spirit's power. And we pray that your spirit, uh, whom you have given to us, will be at work in each one of our hearts, uh, causing us to uh, respond rightly to Jesus uh, in faith and trust in him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if someone were to ask you, what is it about the Christian faith that sets it apart from all the religions of the world, what would you say? Well, there are a number of things you could answer, couldn't you? Our doctrine of God is unique. We believe in one God in three persons. Our doctrine of humanity is unique. We believe that human beings are made in the image of God, and so that's a remarkable thing. And yet we also believe that we have fallen into sin and are hopelessly depraved. Our doctrine of Christ is unique. We believe he's not just a prophet or a guru or a moral teacher. He is fully God and fully man. All that's worth saying. When someone asks me this question, I usually start with the doctrine of salvation. Because as far as I know, every religion teaches you what you have to do in order to solve the problem of which the religion is the solution. And for biblical Christianity, the problem is sin and therefore judgment. We are sinners before God, who is our judge, and we deserve to be condemned. And so we need to be justified. That is, we need for God to declare us righteous, which is like being declared not guilty, but it's even better, because it's being declared that we're good and in good standing with him. That's what we need. And the way we get that justification is not by doing something, but believing in someone. That's absolutely unique. And it's also constantly being attacked from both within the church and outside. People outside misunderstand it and ridicule it. So I can simply believe anything and then I just believe and then I can do anything I like People inside the church ignore it or teach things that contradict it. But those threats are not new. We've seen it over and over again in church history. We see it here among the Galatians, a church that the Apostle Paul had preached. That's that's why he's writing this letter. Let me remind you where we're up to in this letter. Uh, Back in chapter 1, the Apostle Paul was astonished that the the Galatians were moving away from the gospel of Christ. He said, if anyone preaches to you a different gospel than the one I preach to you, whether it's an angel from heaven or even if it's me myself, then let him be accursed. That is, eternally condemned. Strong words, but necessary. For the gospel, that good news that Paul preached was under attack. And that gospel was a true gospel. He received that gospel personally from the Lord Jesus. And in chapter 2, the apostles in Jerusalem agreed with him. Though, when Peter came to Antioch, he wavered under pressure and Paul had to rebuke him. See, the gospel was being attacked by a group of people from Jerusalem who were saying, faith in Christ is not enough to be saved. We call them Judaizers. Uh, They say, it's very, very good that you believe in Christ. We all should believe in Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. But, 
That's not enough. We have a summary of this false gospel that was being um, preached by the Judaizers in Acts 15 verse 1. It's there on the screen. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Unless you are circumcised, you have to become a Jew in order to become a Christian. You have to obey the law of Moses in order to obey Jesus. You have to do something more than trust in Christ in order to be saved. You've got to keep the law of Moses. In particular, you've got to be circumcised. Now, the problem is, as a Jew, Paul knows they can't keep the law. That's what the Jews have been trying to do for the last how many years? He knows it's not the law's fault, it's our fault because we're sinful. We cannot get justified, we cannot be declared right with God on the basis of observing the law. By the works of the law, chapter 2, verse 16, will no one be justified. But we've also seen that God has made another way. And that is being justified by faith in Jesus Christ. If we have faith in Jesus Christ, we're united with Christ by the Spirit. So spiritually, we are together. We are one. You can say that we were crucified with Christ, as Paul says in chapter 2, because we are together. Everything that happens to him happens, we're counted together. Our sins are counted with him. His righteousness is counted as ours. We're, we're united. We share everything. And when Christ died on the cross, it was our sins that he paid for. It says that he loved us and gave himself for us. He, he took the penalty for our sins, so, so now they're gone. And what is left is his righteousness, which he continues to share with us. And so we perfectly right for God to declare us righteous, to justify us, because we are in Christ. And since it is faith that unites us to Christ, then we can say we are justified by faith. If we could be justified by obeying the law, then what's the point of Christ coming and dying? No point. Christ died for nothing. We could have done it ourselves. But we can't be justified by the law. That means we need Christ. That was chapters 1 and 2. Now the problem is that the Galatians were beginning to believe what these false teachers were telling them. And they were about to get circumcised to be really saved. And Paul understood very clearly the implications of this. That's why he's so upset with them at the beginning of chapter 3. Now look what he says to them in verse 1 as he, as he reminds them of their own history. He says, oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. I preached Christ crucified to you. I showed you why he had to die. I gave you the message of the cross. Christ crucified was proclaimed to you. Publicly portrayed. And now you're going to go and try and obey the law of Moses. To get yourself right with God. You are being such idiots. It's almost as if someone's put a spell on you, you know, giving you the evil eye. I can hardly believe you do something this stupid. That's what Paul's saying. Do you ever feel that same kind of frustration? You know, see people who are going really well, you think they've understood, you think they've digested, they've obeyed the gospel, and then they start wandering towards something else. As a pastor, I sometimes get really worried about some of our people. I want to say, wake up, you know. 
Don't you see the spiritual danger you're in? This is how Paul felt about the Galatians. And so he resorts to asking them a a series of rhetorical questions, hoping they'll they'll work it out for themselves. He he takes them back to when they first became Christian. When they first became Christian, they they received the Holy Spirit. Shows they were God's children. And look what he says in verse 2. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? The answer is hearing with faith, isn't it? They heard the gospel message about Jesus. They believed. They received the Spirit. Now, if they received the Spirit by faith, it shows they belong to God, why would now they listen to people who say they have to obey the law in order to be saved? It's obvious. You don't get saved by obeying the law. You get saved by trusting in Jesus. But maybe they're thinking, okay, we, we, we don't need to obey the law to start being saved. We, we start being saved by, by, by trusting in Jesus. But then to stay saved until the end, then we have to obey the law. You get into Christ by faith, but you have to stay in Christ by obeying the law. Which is a little bit like how God did things in the Old Testament, isn't it? Right? God saved his people by grace from Egypt, and then he gave them the law. And if they kept the law, they would be blessed. And if they didn't keep it, as we saw in our Old Testament reading today, then they would be cursed. Is that structure coming into the New Testament as well? You, you, you get in by faith, but you stay in by the law? Well, Paul doesn't think much of that either. Look what he says in verse 3. Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Israel couldn't keep the law. Neither can we. That's why God promised that one day he would send his spirit. That he would change people from the inside. That he will wash them clean. Give them a new covenant. Not like the, not like the one they broke when they failed to obey the law. It's new. And these guys have received the spirit. And now they think they want to go back to the law. Having begun by the spirit. Are they going to be. Perfected, It can be brought to maturity by the flesh. That, that old sinful nature trying to obey the law God gave Moses and failing every time. That's what it was like before Christ. If they did that, they'd no longer be trusting in Christ for salvation. They wouldn't be saved. Come on, guys, Paul says. Surely you didn't endure all that persecution, all that hardship, all that pain, only to chuck it out now by adopting Judaism? Did you suffer, verse 4, so many things in vain? If it was in vain? How can you go back to that? And look at the miracles God's been doing among you. Verse 5, does he who supply the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? You weren't observing the law when God did all those miracles among you, were you? You're just trusting in Jesus. It was enough. Why are you adding things now? Hearing with faith, that's what you need. And what does it look like? Verse 6. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Remember that was our Old Testament reading last week, wasn't it? From Genesis 15. Abraham heard God's word 
He received God's promises. He believed God. And God considered him righteous. God justified him. God said, you are righteous. Not because Abraham did something, but because he trusted God. He was justified by faith. And so that's the first way of getting righteous, believing. I think we're point four, part one. If I'm, yes, point four, part one. That is, right, if you hear God's word, if you receive God's promises, if you believe God, then you are in exactly the same position as Abraham. It's Abraham all over again. Abraham heard God's word. He trusted God's promises. He was justified. You hear God's word. You trust God's promises. You're justified. It's, it's Abraham all over again except it's you. Right? You're just like Abraham. And if you're just like Abraham, then you know what? You're considered a son of Abraham. Because right? sons are just like their fathers, isn't it? God wants you to know that. And so Paul says in verse 7, Know then it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. If you believe the word of God like Abraham, you're justified like Abraham. You're one of Abraham's people. And that's not just for the Jews, the biological descendants of Abraham. Oh no. Because the promise to Abraham was a promise of blessing, not just for the Jews, but also for the nations, the Gentiles. Because God promised Abraham that through him all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. Verse 8. And the scriptures foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, the nations, the non-Jews, by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations of the world be blessed. That was one of God's promises to Abraham. Blessing to the nations. And we see that blessing that comes through him applies to those who are like him. Those who are his true sons. So verse 9, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. How was Abraham blessed? He was justified by hearing God's promises, believing on him. No need to add the law. Abraham and his heirs are justified by faith alone. But not only is it not necessary to add the law to be saved, Paul's about to argue that by adding in the law, you will forfeit your salvation. Why is that? It's because there are two ways to, 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 to live. And you've rejected the first way by going for the second way. Well, have a look at the second way, verse 10. For those who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written... Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. Cursed be anyone who, everyone who doesn't abide by all the things in the law and do them. See, the law as a way of salvation operates legally. That's the law. And the law says you have to do everything in the law to do it. So, okay, you say you have to be circumcised because you want to obey the law? Well, guess what? You have to obey the whole law to obey the law. If you're under the law, you can't pick and choose. I want to be circumcised. I don't want to do this one. 
No, no. You're under the law. You're under the law. Whole thing. You obey it all. And you will not be able to do that. And so the curse will be on you. If you rely on the law to make you right with God, then, then you're under curse because that's in the end, that's what the law brings. Some of the Jews thought that they would be justified, that they would be declared righteous with God by, because they kept the law. But that's not actually the teaching of the Old Testament. The law won't actually bring justification to anyone. Paul says in verse 11, Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. Right? He's quoting Habakkuk there. The righteous shall live by faith. How do you get life? Faith. Now Paul says, faith is not law. Faith does not include keeping the law. And the law is not faith. Faith is trusting. Law is doing. There's a difference, isn't there? Verse 12. The law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. That's a quote from Leviticus 18.5. If you obey the law, it will give you life. If you obey the law. The one who does them shall live by them. But you have to obey it. It's something you have to do. It's not believing, it's doing. Do you see the big difference? One way is believing, one way is doing. How do you get eternal life? The faith way, by trusting in Jesus. The law way, by obeying the law. There are really two ways to live. Except we've already seen if you go the law way, you have to keep the whole law, and you can't do it, so you'll be under the curse. These Jewish Christians, before they believed, that's where they were, under the curse of the law, because they'd been trying to be justified by doing. They sought to live in the law way, ended up in curse, until what? Until Christ saved them from it. Now in 3.3, what Christ accomplished. And how did he save these Jewish believers from the curse of the law that they were under? Well, he did it by taking the curse for them. Verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. See, the law itself taught that if you hang on a tree, that's because you're cursed. The sign of curse, death under God's judgment, is being strung up and hung on a tree. And guess what? That's what happened to Jesus, isn't it? He was nailed to a wooden cross, hung on a tree, cursed. And yet he was the only one who actually kept the law perfectly from the heart, the way it's meant to be kept. So why was he cursed? Verse 13 again. He became a curse for us. The punishment he bore was the punishment that, that every one of us deserves for disobeying God. For the Jews, that was the curse of the law. Right? For the Gentiles, it's the curse that comes from disobeying what we know of God, even if we don't have the law. Paul doesn't mention it here because he's talking about the Jews and the law. But the point is this. Christ redeemed the Jewish Christians from the law. 
He paid the price to save them from the curse of disobeying the law. And he did it when he died on the cross for their sins and and for us. Why would you want, if you're a Gentile, to go to that? Paul gives us two reasons why God did that. Why Jesus did that. He, He did that, verse 14. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. Remember what the blessing of Abraham was? It was, in this context, it was justification by faith, isn't it? Jesus died so the Jews could be freed from the curse of the law and be justified by faith. That they could be receiving the blessing of Abraham. But remember what we saw earlier. The blessing of Abraham is not just for the Jews, but for everyone who has faith. And so the death of Jesus is taking the curse not just for the Jewish Christians, but for us as well. And we receive it in the very same way as our Jewish brothers and sisters, by faith. The law doesn't come in. The other reason Jesus took the curse is found at the end of verse 14. So that we might receive the promised spirit. Through faith. Remember, in the Old Testament, God promised Israel that one day, one day, He would pour out His Spirit on them. He would change their hearts so they really want to obey. And before that, He would deal with their sins. And now the sins of God's people are dealt with on the cross. God's poured down His Spirit. We saw that at Pentecost. And you can say that Christ died under the curse so His Jewish people might receive the promised Spirit. Receive justification by faith. Receive the Spirit. How did they receive the Spirit? By observing the law? No. Through faith. When they trusted Jesus. So there's two blessings, isn't there? Justification and the Spirit. And we saw at the beginning of this passage exactly that same Spirit was given to the Gentiles. Who were the Galatians? Was it when they obeyed the law? No, it's when they heard the gospel and believed. And so for both Jewish Christians and for Gentile Christians, we've received justification, we've received the Spirit by faith, not by law. And it's the Spirit, not the law, that will produce the fruit of godly living in the believer. We'll come to that later on in the book of Galatians. So what do we learn from this part of the big argument that Paul's making in the letter. Well, let me start off by telling you what we learn is not right. There are some things that some theologians are teaching today that simply don't fit this passage. Now, the first one is from what is called the new perspective on Paul. It's not so new anymore. It seems to be on the way now. It's quite trendy in theological circles a few years ago. Uh, And some of the proponents were saying something like this. You know, we've been reading Paul wrongly when we thought that justification by faith was really important here. We were actually reading the controversies of the Reformation back into this letter. Actually, Paul's not so concerned about justification by faith when he wrote Galatians. The thing that he's worried about is Gentiles being forced to become like Jews. And so when he's talking about the works of the law, he's not talking about the whole law of Moses. He's certainly not talking about having to obey various church requirements. He's talking about boundary markers, things like circumcision and food laws and things like that, things that distinguish Jew and Gentile. And he's saying you don't have to obey, you don't have to follow them. The problem is not justification by works. Jews didn't go for that anyway. 
The problem is that you don't have to be Jewish in order to be Christian. So when we apply this passage in terms of justification by faith, we're, we're reading too much into it. You see what it's saying? What do you make of that? Well, on the one hand, there is some truth in it, isn't there? Paul is indeed worried about the Gentiles forced to become Jews. And the trigger that sets him off is indeed circumcision. That is, that is the issue. But we've already seen that the real problem of circumcision is that it's an example that it makes you obey the whole law in order to be saved. It's not circumcision itself that's the problem. The problem is saying is that by saying it's necessary for salvation, you're putting yourself back under the law of Moses for salvation, the whole law. In Paul's day, the example was circumcision. A different place, a different circumstance, a different time, there might be a different example. It could be anything in the law. Because making the keeping of any part of the law a requirement for salvation is contrary to salvation by hearing with faith. Why? Remember verse 12. Because law by nature is not of faith. The law is not of faith. Faith is believing Law is doing. And so making anything in the law of Moses a prerequisite of salvation is not compatible with hearing with faith. And now, if that's in the law of Moses, you can apply it one step further. Making any human work a prerequisite of salvation is also not compatible with hearing with faith, isn't it? The same thing. Because like keeping the law, human good works are not believing, but doing. There are still two ways to live. Works, whether it's the works of the law of Moses, or if you're a a Gentile and you don't have the law, other good works you do in light of nature, and faith, like Abraham who believed God and is credited to him as righteousness. If you go by the works route, you're under a curse. If you don't have the law, you're under the curse. Not under the curse of the law, you're still under the general curse that comes on all those after the fall who disobey God. And let me tell you, if the law of Moses doesn't condemn you on the last day, then your conscience will. You still need to be justified by faith. So in the end, justification by faith alone is very clearly the application of this passage. It was the application for the first readers who were in danger of losing it by circumcision. It was the application for Christians at the Reformation who had lost it at the hands of the institutional church. And it's the application for us today. Do not let anyone rob you of that. Justification by faith is very, very, very important. It is not the first time the devil has attacked the church by trying to get us rid of this doctrine. And what about the boundary markers? Well, go back to where Paul used the term. That's in verse 10. All who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now, is that just boundary markers? I don't think, I think it's about all things written in the book of the law, isn't it? Relying on the works of the law means trying to do whatever is prescribed in the law. In the end, that leads us to curse. Now, you can argue. You can say, well, I define it as boundary markers. And then you say that he's relying on the boundary markers. If you do the boundary markers, then you're obliged to keep the whole law. But even if you say that, the point remains, 
that you have to obey the whole law and you're under a curse if you don't. So the application that is still, if you make one thing obligatory, whether it's circumcision or anything else in the law, whatever that might be, as a precondition of salvation, still curse. The only way to be justified is by faith alone. So in the end, you cannot run away from justification by faith alone in this passage. On a different, different note, there are those who say that faith includes good works. That is, they want to have a, justi- a theology of justification by works, but they know the Bible is insistent on justification by faith alone, and so a very clever way to reconcile that is to redefine faith as to include good works as part of faith. You see what I mean? Right? Now, good works are a result of faith. They are not part of faith. Do not confuse the product of faith with the content of faith. How do we know that it's wrong? Well, once again, the passage helps us. Because Paul very clearly contrasts the works of the law on the one hand and hearing with faith on the other. One does not contain the other. They are diametrically opposite as ways of salvation. It's either by works of the law or by hearing with faith. Not hearing with faith that includes the works of the law. You're either like Abraham, who believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, or you're like Israel, who came under God's curse for not obeying the law. Verse 12 helps us again. The law is not of faith. One is doing, one is believing. Believing will result in doing, that's for sure. If I truly believe, then my life will change because God gives me his spirit, and the spirit will change me to do things differently. But believing does not include the doing. I am right with God, not because of what I do, but because of what God did for me on the cross of Christ. And I receive that not by doing, but by faith alone. Does that make sense? Okay, so we've seen what the passage doesn't mean. How does it apply to us? Because I don't think anyone is in danger of being circumcised here. Well, except maybe for medical or cultural reasons. And if you're circumcised for any reason apart from thinking you have to do that to be saved, then well, it doesn't really matter. It's nothing, isn't it? So what are the positive implications of, for you and I today? Well, first of all, and this point is doubtless the same point that has been made every week in this series, is guard the gospel. Can't add anything to the gospel as a requirement of salvation without losing it. Don't, don't do that. Today, there are people who say, you have to get baptized in order to be saved. Now, now, getting baptized is very important. It's a command of God. If you haven't been baptized, please get baptized. That is God's will for you. Come and talk to me afterwards. But it's not a prerequisite for salvation. Some people say you have to speak in tongues in order to be saved. But tongues is not for everyone. If God gives you the gift of tongues, well, feel free to exercise it at home, as you were taught in 1 Corinthians 14. But don't make it a prerequisite for salvation. Some people say you have to belong to their church in order to be saved. When a church says that or implies that, that simply means they've become a cult. Of course, if you're a believer, you must meet with other believers. God wants you to be part of a faithful local church. But membership in any one particular church is not a prerequisite for salvation. Don't, don't, don't add to the gospel. Don't add to the gospel. 
Secondly, more specifically to our passage today, it is possible to start off in one way and then be in danger of falling into another. That's what happened with the Galatians, isn't it? That's why Paul was so upset with them. You foolish Galatians, he said. You started well. Preach Christ crucified to you. You believe like Abraham. God gave you his spirit. He even did miracles among you. And now you're thinking not enough. You have to finish by human effort. By the flesh. You ever start thinking that way? I'm sure we don't formally do that. You know, I don't think this justification by faith. I don't really believe that anymore. I better do some good works just to be sure. Sometimes we can do that subtly without, without even thinking about it. Oh, faith in Christ, that's for becoming a Christian. Then continue in salvation. We better, we better do this, that, or the other. Just, just to make sure that we're, that we're really safe. No, 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 no. All kinds of things we will do because we are saved. But it's by faith we are saved. And it's by faith that we stay saved. It's easy to get mixed up. You know why? Because faith produces good works. And without good works, it is right to question is faith really there or not. But the good works never save you in the first place. And they don't keep you saved either. You continue to be saved in the same way you started to be saved. And that is by trusting in Jesus. Having started with the Spirit, don't try to finish off in the flesh. You keep trusting in Jesus. Thirdly, we learn something about the true gospel. Remember what Paul wrote when he was reminding the Galatians about what he taught them? He said, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. That that was the essence of Paul's message to them, isn't it? That's why he's so upset when when they're thinking of adding circumcision to the gospel because his message was about Christ crucified. His message wasn't, come to our church, you'll be more fulfilled. It wasn't, give me money and God will give you more money. It wasn't, doesn't matter what you believe as long as we're friends together. It wasn't, you be good. That's the important thing, be good. If any of those things were his message, then let me tell you, circumcision won't affect it. Doesn't matter one way or the other. But his message is that Christ died for our sins. That he hung on the cross to take the curse for us. That we can be declared right with God only by trusting in him and his death in our place. And that is the message that is contradicted by this alternative message that you need to be circumcised in order to be saved. So let me ask you, what is the message that you hear from this pulpit, music stand, whatever, week after week? Or if you listen to other preachers, what is the, what is the message they bring? You know, one thing I like to do when meeting with people from other churches, find out about their church, I say, if, if you could summarize all the sermons and songs from the past two years you heard in your church, you could summarize it into one sentence, what would that sentence be? So what is the main message that is being communicated by your church or your ministry? That's what you're being taught. Is that the true gospel? If you're a, a teacher or a preacher, or a small group leader, or a Sunday school teacher, can you summarize your own message? What is it that you're communicating? Because let me say, if your main message is compatible with the false gospel of circumcision, then it's not the message that Paul was preaching. If your main message is not Christ crucified, it's not the gospel. 
If you can save, be saved by good works and still accept that message, then there's something wrong with that message. Be afraid. Be very afraid. If you're a listener, stop listening to false teachers. If you're a teacher, then repent and teach the gospel. Now, earlier on I was talking as if we've all been saved, and maybe we all have. But I suspect there'll be some people here that haven't yet been justified by faith. Maybe you didn't even know you need to be justified by faith today. You thought you could go the doing route. But you know that unless you trust in Jesus, then you're under God's curse because of your sin. You, you need to be justified. You need God to declare you not guilty. In fact, to declare you righteous and good. And you've learned today that the only way that can happen is by trusting in Jesus. You know that he died to take the curse for you? Hung on the tree to take the punishment for your sin? Curse in your place so that you could have the blessing of Abraham? justification by faith and so that you could receive the spirit who will indeed change your life you've also heard that you have to start relying on Jesus alone to make you right with God and you can't add anything or anyone to that so that's you stop trying to get right with God by doing good things because God's promise is those who trust in the sacrifice of Jesus are justified. And so you put your faith, your trust, your confidence firmly and solely and, and, uh, and wholeheartedly in him. And you do that today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you gave us your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to rescue us from the curse of sin by becoming a curse for us. And thank you that by faith we have now received justification and we have received the Spirit. And we know this is all your work and we thank you for that. And we pray that you help us to hold fast to this doctrine of justification by faith alone. Never water it down or change it. Help us never to add anything to the finished work of Christ as a requirement for salvation. And please guard us from teachings who would. And please help us to press on in portraying Christ crucified to, to those with whom we share. And for those among us who have not yet put their trust in Christ or have been trying to add some good works to be saved, please, uh, please help them to stop and trust in Christ alone. So they too might receive the gifts of justification and your Holy Spirit. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.